And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Tom Jipping, Senior Legal Fellow for the Edwin Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at Heritage, and that's part of the Institute for Constitutional Government. And Tom, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Thank you very much for having me. Um, Not long ago in the news, Tom, there was a leak from the Supreme Court. And I'm wondering, first of all, to get us started, could you tell us what that leak was about, and then we can take it from there. Sure. For the, for the first time in Supreme Court history, uh, a draft of an opinion in a case was leaked to the media. Um, this was a draft in the case titled Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. This is the case challenging a Mississippi statute that bans most abortions after 15 weeks. And the draft, it was a first draft, and it apparently initially circulated within the court in February. Um, it not only was significant because this is the first time any, any breach of that internal process uh, has occurred, but the, the draft itself indicates that a majority of the court is going to overrule uh, the court's abortion decisions in Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. So, of course, people have been talking about the leak itself. Uh, why did it happen and so on? Um, but if that draft opinion becomes essentially the final opinion, uh, it will be a tremendous victory for people who believe in constitutional government, uh, the integrity of the Supreme Court, and of course, who want to uh, protect the life of the unborn. So a very dramatic event, uh, and it's not finished yet because sometime between now and the end of June, the Supreme Court will uh, announce its final decision and release its final opinion. Okay, so there is kind of a deadline then. Well, it's it's not uh, a, a very rigid deadline, except <laughs> that the, the Supreme Court's term generally uh, goes from the first Monday in October, that's when arguments in new cases begin, uh, to the end of June. Um, but, I mean, it could go into the first couple of days of July, but generally speaking, that's the the time frame. So uh, the court still has, I think, between 30 and 35 cases in which they have to complete writing opinions and then publicly announce the decisions. So they have a lot of work to do. Uh, and sometimes the big cases, like this one, uh, the court waits until the very end of the term because the process of writing multiple opinions, not just the majority, mm-hmm. uh, can take a long time. Yeah. Well, this one is uh, a very weighty matter. Um, The original 1973 decision, Roe v. Wade, um, I was, I believe I was still in high school at the time. That was my final year in high school. (laughs) Um, And at that point in my life, I I wasn't following this stuff at all. I, I was just a kid doing ham radio stuff, and I could care less. But um, it was a very uh, questionable decision from what I've read in the past. Um, if you take the Constitution 
on its merits. Can you explain, um, was it a good decision back in 1973 when it came out? Well, we have, um, I think we are blessed to have uh, the first and the oldest written constitution in the world. It's one of the shortest, and I encourage every single American to read it. And we have it written down for a reason, because the Constitution gives powers to the government and limits those powers through identifying individual rights. And it's written down so that we all know what's in it. Obviously, there's nothing in the Constitution about privacy or about abortion. And so Roe versus Wade, uh, which challenged the constitutionality of a Texas law that banned uh all abortions except to save the life of the mother, um, the Supreme Court essentially created the right to abortion. It's not in the Constitution, but Hmm. the Supreme Court created it, claimed that it was there. Roe versus Wade is probably the most criticized uh, opinion in the history of the Supreme Court. Even well-known scholars who are themselves in favor of legalized abortion have been among the harshest critics of this decision. And today, almost no one even really tries to defend it because hmm. it is it is so poorly reasoned. The court really didn't even try to interpret the Constitution. They simply said, we think uh, that banning abortion will impose too many detriments on women, so we think abortion should be legal. So we're going to uh, require states to allow it. And whatever your position on abortion, for or against, uh, we should always uh, insist that the Supreme Court do its job and no more. Mm-hmm. The Supreme Court doesn't have authority to make up rights that are not in the Constitution. They don't run the country. And so Roe versus Wade, not only in what it did, which was legalize abortion almost on demand across the country, but how it did it by making up this right in the Constitution Mm. did a lot of damage to our system of government and to the idea of the rule of law rather than the rule of judges. So overruling Roe will admit that mistake, will say that it it shouldn't have been decided that way in in the first place, that the Constitution does not protect a right to abortion. And uh, I think that will be a correct decision. It, it will. It should have happened a long time ago, and the effect will be for the American people through their elected representatives in primarily state legislatures, but also in Congress, will be able to decide how to address this very important issue, and if they choose to use the law to protect the life of the unborn. You mentioned something here that is very important, and that is. Um there are legal scholars who um, believe in abortion, but when they look at Roe v. Wade, they conclude that, no, this this couldn't have come from the Constitution itself. This is actually uh, a bad decision. Did I hear you right there? That, that's right. In fact, um, one, one that comes to mind, he, he wrote actually within a few months of the Roe versus Wade decision, a, a very well-known Yale law professor who, who, who wrote an article where he said, if I were a legislator, I would vote for 
basically unrestricted abortion. He said, but this is what he said. He wrote, Roe versus Wade is not constitutional law, and it doesn't even appear to try to be. Mm. And he was right in that, because, like I said a minute ago, the Supreme Court didn't even attempt to interpret the Constitution. It's not like they did what they're supposed to do, but they got it wrong. Yeah. They avoided interpreting the Constitution altogether because they knew uh, that you can't find a right to abortion anywhere in the Constitution. The fact is, for, for, for 185 years before Roe versus Wade, from the birth of our country to 1973, state legislatures uh, were in charge of abortion policy and increasingly restricted it and prohibited it mm-hmm. because we know that the unborn child is every one of us, because we know that the <laughs> unborn child is a living human being. Uh, and Roe versus Wade slammed the door on all of that. Yes. It shut off the voices of all Americans uh, to have any influence on this process. And that is a very radical thing to do, especially when the Constitution doesn't say a word about it. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, today we're talking with Tom Jipping, Senior Legal Fellow in the Edwin Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. And we're talking about this recent leak from the Supreme Court, and then we touched upon the original Roe v. Wade. Now, what about those people that say, oh, no, you can't reverse this because uh, a precedent has been established? How how would you answer those folks? Well, the, the word precedent in this context simply means a past decision. Simply because a decision has been made... Uh, I mean, the, there are now you know, thousands upon thousands of Supreme Court decisions uh, all the way back to the birth of our country. Uh, and un- until those, until a decision like that is reexamined and overruled, it's, it's a legitimate precedent. But what, what kind of system would we have if once the Supreme Court said something, they could never reconsider it? Mm-hmm. They could never look at it again. I mean... Decisions like Dred Scott versus Sanford, which said that slaves were not citizens, or Plessy versus Ferguson, that said that uh, separate but equal facilities for the races was constitutional. We wouldn't be able to get rid of any of those decisions. Yes, yes, good point. So the Supreme Court, it is their responsibility to interpret the Constitution and to decide individual cases, uh, but they've always been open to re-examining. They don't do it very often, but in a case where there's a good reason to, they'll, they will re-examine uh, a past decision, and they've overruled their past decisions more than 200 times in history. So um, I think we want them to be open to doing that, uh, and they're doing that in this case, and I think it's going to result in correcting a really, really serious error. Mm-hmm. Very good point. So um, we don't know how it's going to play out, but it's it's starting to look likely that Roe v. Wade may be reversed. Um, what happens then? Well, a, a lot of people over these last 50 years since Roe v. Wade, I think, have been led to some wrong understandings of Roe versus Wade and what it did. A lot of people think Roe versus Wade only legalized abortion in the first trimester, for example, as opposed to 
all nine months of pregnancy. And I think uh, advocates of abortion are, are trying to scare people into thinking that overruling Roe versus Wade will automatically make abortion illegal. It will not. Roe versus Wade was simply said that the Constitution does not allow legislatures to protect unborn babies. Getting rid of Roe versus Wade will reverse that and say that, yes, legislatures may protect unborn babies. But it's up to the legislatures to decide whether and how to do that. That's the way it was before Roe versus Wade, and that's the way it will be now. Uh, so state legislatures, as well as Congress, are, are already actively discussing what to do, uh, what, what they want abortion policy to be. This is a very different country, though, than it was 50 years ago. Yes. And there will be states uh, like New York and California that already have passed laws uh, guaranteeing almost unrestricted abortion mm -hmm. because they want that to continue. But there will be many states who um, will do uh, other, other than that. But that's all that reversing Roe will do. Sure. The, the, the Supreme Court, I think, was wrong to take this issue away from legislatures. Overruling Roe versus Wade will give it back. And then legislatures and, and the people they represent can decide what they want to do. Oh, sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, this is uh, very interesting. We're talking about Roe v. Wade, and it's possible reversal soon at the Supreme Court level. And uh, then it simply goes back to the states, as um, Tom Jipping here is uh, pointing out. What has troubled me is how, first of all, this was leaked, and then how people you know, started demonstrating in front of the justice's home. How appropriate is that? Well, uh, before even talking about whether it's appropriate, it's illegal. <laughs> which there's a federal there's a federal law that prohibits uh, demonstrating in front of judge in, you know outside of judges' homes with the intent of trying to influence their decisions, which right. is clearly it. Um, but of course, uh, you know, liberal prosecutors around the country are not, and here in, in the District of Columbia, they're they're not enforcing that law. Um, I, again, I, I think we should all want integrity in our institutions. Uh, and simply because I don't like something does not make it illegitimate, does not make it unconstitutional, does not make it wrong in any way. And sometimes, uh, if we believe in the rule of law, I used to work, when I was in law school, I, I worked for Judge Antonin Scalia, for example, when he was on the Court of Appeals, wow. before he went to the Supreme Court. He used to say, you know, a, a good judge is going to render decisions he doesn't like from time to time. Uh, wh whether you agree with or like or the result of the case, it doesn't matter. We should want the, the Supreme Court to decide cases correctly, to interpret the Constitution correctly. And that's the challenge today, is, is when the Supreme Court doing its job properly means that my, you know, uh, sensibilities or my priorities um, might not win on a particular day. Uh, well, we don't get to take, you know, when I was a kid, uh, sure, I, I blamed the game when I lost, you know, yeah. and I, I would want to, you know, take my marbles and go home, but um, we should want our institutions, especially the courts, 
uh, to apply the law faithfully and impartially, not to impose their own politics. And if that means that um, they have to correct a misinterpretation of the Constitution, then they should do it. Mm. Uh, they will in this case. You know, another thing that's changed since those days of Roe v. Wade back in 1973 is our technology has improved in terms of medical science and the ability to do scans and sonograms and all of that. Um, We can now see the baby in the womb, um, 3D scans or whatever they're called, and there's a great deal of, of, of detail. Uh, we can determine that um, the baby has the ability to suffer pain and, and all of that. Um, they certainly have different DNA than the mother, and I'm not uh, a medical professional, but um, it seems that we've learned a lot, and it, it should make the decision a little bit easier for some folks when they realize, oh, wait a minute, I, I was told that it was just a, a piece of tissue. I, I I agree with that, except I, I don't think it's that complicated. Yes. Uh, this is Middle Ages. We're not, you know, in all of this confusion and doubt about when life begins. All you got to think of your is, were you alive before you were born? <laughs> right. That's all people have to think about, because every single one of us uh, was a child, um, an infant, a fetus an embryo, every one of us, yeah. that's us. So uh, we all know when human life begins. Sure. Uh, ten years after Roe versus Wade, President Ronald Reagan wrote an essay called Abortion and the Conscience of a Nation, where he said that the real issue is not when human life begins, but what is the value of human life? Mm. That, that will always be the real question. Uh, it's it, And yet... Um, Attempts to confuse this continue. I was I was watching just a couple of days ago to a hearing in the House of Representatives, the House Judiciary Committee, regarding abortion and access to abortion services. And a, a female doctor was testifying. She's and, and she was in favor of abortion, mm-hmm. and she actually said that you have to be born to be human. Now she that's interesting. That. Can you imagine now, that? Well, what does she think she was before she was born? Hmm. I mean, that makes no sense whatsoever. And it's because they, they want to avoid what that real issue is, and that's the value of human life. We really can't, you know, diminish the value of the unborn without diminishing the value of our own lives. Yes, um, good point. So that, that's the issue we have to struggle with, Not not kind of the, the biological issue, there was one point before which you or I weren't here. And that's conception. We all yeah. know that. Yeah. Uh, and abortion, by design, intends to end the life of that human being. Uh, and there's we have to decide whether there's a difference between killing that human being in the womb is, is really any different than killing that human being if they had survived uh, pregnancy and were born. Yes. And, um, but, they, but you see, these are the issues that legislatures exist to wrestle with. 
if we want the law to reflect our values on issues like this, the legislature is where these kinds of debates uh, and challenging, you know, conversations have to take place, not in the courts. Yes. And that's uh, overruling Roe versus Wade so that this can proceed and we, we actually can legitimately address these issues uh, can go forward. Yeah. It's been all very helpful to talk with you, and um, you have a lot of background. Um, what else did you do besides um, what you mentioned so far in your legal uh, experience? Well, before I came to the Heritage Foundation, which was four years ago, I worked for 15 years for Senator Orrin Hatch on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Hmm. I worked for him from 2003 until... 2018, which is the year he retired, uh, and when I started working for him, he was the chairman of the committee. So that committee, you know, handles many of these issues, handles judicial appointments, Supreme Court nominations, and so I, I really kind of had a front row seat on how this issue of abortion uh, re- really distorted the process of appointing Supreme Court justices. Right. One of the one of the problems with the Supreme Court taking this issue away from the people uh, was not only that it belonged to the people, but then you necessarily have abortion as this huge issue every time you have a Supreme right. Court vacancy. And it shouldn't be that way. No, uh, we, we should be uh, looking to our elected representatives, senators and congressmen and state legislators, what their views are on abortion, not judges. Mm-hmm. If the Constitution doesn't take that issue away from the people, then the Supreme Court shouldn't either. Yeah. And that, so it was, a, uh, it was a really great opportunity to work on issues like this and to work for a, a pro-life conservative senator. And because he was a, a more senior senator, uh, he had a lot, of, a lot of influence on a lot of legislation. And, sure. and so it was a great opportunity to work for him and to hopefully make a, a contribution to our country. <laughs> yeah. If there's a young person out there today who is thinking about getting into law and uh, wants to go to a good school and and he wants to study, and any, any tips, any advice for such a one? Well, I think the first, the first question I would urge them to ask is why they want to go into law. Hmm. Uh, there's many, many different reasons to do so, but, but the... The answer to that question um, begins to help sort out uh, how to go about doing it. Do, do you want to, just because it's an interesting kind of education, do you want to actually practice law? Uh, do you want to, as I did, um, pursue uh, legal work that is also in the context of politics or policy? There's many different ways, but I think clarifying in your own mind, because it, it is a long and a hard <laughs> road. It's a very expensive road. Yeah. Um, so figure out why you want to do it and if you need to do it based on what you want to do with your life and your career. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, go forward with that. Different schools have different, uh, different strengths and different weaknesses. Uh, they're obviously all over the country. Some schools are, have a better reputation than others. But I think it all begins with uh, really zeroing in on uh, why you want to pursue a legal career. 
Some people change their career path as time goes on. I'm thinking of one pastor that I know on Long Island. Um, he pastors an OPC church, and uh, initially he started off uh, the law route and got his JD, like you have, <laughs> and then God called him to the to the pastoral ministry. So that sort of thing happens too, and I'm thinking the the training the very clear thinking that a lawyer must have in order to achieve his degree etc and become a member of the par and all that um that that discipline probably is very useful um in studying theology and teaching god's word and pastoring the people well as as you may know uh john calvin before he became a theologian, was studying law. <laughs> and so I think, you know, there may be something to that. Today, um, m- most American law schools are really dominated by a, a liberal ideology. Yes, Many of them are, are very intolerant places for points of view and, and sets of values that don't conform to that rigid liberalism. I went to a very liberal law school, um, but to, for me, I think it was a, a very formative, useful experience. I learned a lot about mm-hmm. engaging with those who don't think the same as I do. Um, a former boss of mine said it is better to engage than enrage. Yes. And so I learned how to do, you know, began learn, learning how to do that. But, it, but that is the truth about most American law schools. And it can be a, a kind of a hostile place. <laughs> depending on where you come from and what your values and goals are. But that's why I think clarity about that in your own mind to, is is a very important first step. Well, it's been an honor to talk with you today. Tom Jipping, Senior Legal Fellow, Edwin Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. And if you want to look him up, you just simply Google his name, Thomas Jipping, uh, Heritage, and you'll go to the Heritage Foundation, and you can look up articles. Any place else that the folks should look uh, online, Tom? Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Tom Jipping, T O M J I P P I N G, and uh, do a lot of um, a lot of activity there there as well. That's great. In fact, before our interview here. Uh, I was looking at your Twitter feed, so thank you for that as well. Tom Jipping, my friend and brother in the Lord, thanks for joining us today. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> 